in Hebrews, uh, and we are looking here uh, in chapter 12 at this focus on, on discipline, right, on, uh, and what that means in our lives. So this actually is this gift from, from God, and, and there's a challenge here. There's, there are a number of things that I want to address, some questions that you might hear and go, wait, what's going on there? We'll, we'll address those, but um, constantly... In the book of Hebrews, the preacher writer, as this is like this sermon letter, this kind of cross between a sermon and a letter, he's addressing the Hebrews in the midst of a lot of significant struggles that they're having. And, and we can relate to, to struggles, to things not going as, as we want them to go. And particularly so because uh, we're told regularly that things should be going well, that that. Things are uh, broken and messed up, and we should pursue, most often what we get in our culture is, is ease and comfort. But that's really where happiness or satisfaction uh, lies, right? And uh, there are, it's a little bit fascinating to, to Google advertising campaigns that include you, some, some form of you deserve it. This is something that you deserve, Right? Uh, I, I think of the one from the 80s that uh, was McDonald's and uh, multiple commercials. You know, you, you, you go hard in life and it's got, you know, guy football. It's mostly teenagers roller skating, uh, going from one class to the next, um, football practice. Uh, you, 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 you go strong all day. You deserve a break. And, you know, if you deserve a break, then McDonald's is the place that you should go, Right. Uh, that, that's the implication there. I mean, it, there's all kinds. You, you deserve uh, Dr. Pepper Zero. Um, you deserve uh, Dr. Dre's Beats headphones. You deserve the best, uh, right? Like, just, um, you, you deserve, one of them was, you deserve Spain. Um, t- tourist advertisement for Spain, right? You deserve it. You deserve to be able to go to Spain. Uh, and it goes on and on and on, Right? But it, it's all focused on this idea that you deserve it. And, and that could be either because of the, like the McDonald's commercial from the 80s gets at, you're, you just work really hard and you need a break. You deserve a break in that situation. Um, it's football practice and roller skating in school, you, you know, you deserve, you deserve it because you've worked hard. But sometimes we think things have just been really hard and you deserve a break, Right. Like, you, you've had real difficulty, and so you deserve something good. And we're, we're, we're not, we're, the gospel is constantly this reality that we don't deserve it, right? Like, we don't deserve uh, the things that the Lord offers us. And yet, he offers them to us because he, he loves us. But it also gets at, and Hebrews has been full of this, is that life is going to be difficult, that there is going to be struggle and hard things, and that oftentimes it's going to hurt, that it's not going to be the ease and the comfort that we desire. And the, the writer here is telling us something beautiful is going on and happening in the midst of that. And it is not at any point here or elsewhere diminishing the reality of the struggle or the pain, but it is yet saying it is a part of a bigger picture. And so that we can see here this idea of discipline as being a part of this bigger picture that can give us hope in the midst of the pain, the struggle, the hurt that we experience. 
we're going to see two points essentially here, discipline and endurance. And these are both words that occur at multiple points in this passage, discipline and endurance. Those are the points. Uh, let me pray for us. Lord, we do pray that you would give us powerful hope in the midst of struggle and pain and hurt that we all experience, sometimes in, in very deep ways. We pray that you would meet us here with that hope and that power that can only come from the Lord who has power over death itself. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Discipline is the first uh, point here that we're looking at. And we, we hear discipline. I think the, the thing that we have to do first and foremost is to note that discipline does not equal punishment. And that's often where we go, right? We think discipline and it is punishment for when I do something bad. Now, it includes reproof. That We, we see that even in, in verse 5 when we have Proverbs 3, verse 11 and 12 quoted, we see that reproof can be a part of that. Correction can be a part of it. But discipline is a much broader scale. And, and here, this word, this Greek word, uh, paideus, really could best be translated as child training. Child training, that we, we discipline our kids to grow them up in, in particular ways. All, all parents do this to some degree or another, Right? So child training, and we're actually going to take in the midst of this discipline, looking at those two aspects of discipline. Uh, the first is the training. Again, not just reproof. It, it, is, it is growing someone up in a particular uh, direction. And it gives the example in some pretty significant detail, verses 7 through 10, the picture of a father disciplining his child. And, and, and we, if we can think about that in the most helpful way, we, we can picture a good father. Whether you've had a good father or, or not, if you have not had a good father, you, you recognize that you can imagine what a good father would be. So the, the lack of the good comes because you know what could be, right? And there is a picture here of that father being good and training up a child in a particular direction. Maybe, maybe it's helpful to think of uh, a coach, and again, uh, of a good coach, uh, leading us in a particular direction that is, is putting us at times through something hard. So that the, in the midst of the disciplining, the goal isn't comfort or ease, and that is certainly not God's goal for us, comfort or ease. It's, it's something bigger. It's moving toward a particular direction that, that we'll get to in a moment. But, but it comes sometimes through something painful. You, you go to the doctor because you've, let's say you've sliced open your hand and the, the doctor's going to have to put in stitches. And before she does the stitches, she says, I'm going to give you a shot. This is going to hurt. This is going to hurt. Not because the doctor wants to, to hurt you, but because she wants to protect you from something more. So this is going to hurt is a little bit of what we find uh, in really a lot of Hebrews, but certainly in this passage. But it is ultimately for uh, our good. Discipline in our lives, training in our lives in a particular direction always uh, holds this uh, in, in light, in, in mind. So I played football in high school, and I remember as a freshman coming up on three-a-day practices. This is, you, you couldn't gather together as a team over the summer. Beginning of August, you could gather together for three-a-days, three practices in one day in the sweltering 
humidity of Memphis, Tennessee, uh, and I dreaded it. And it was uh, painful in a lot of ways. And we did a lot of what felt like at the time boring drills. We did a lot of conditioning so that we would uh, be able to last a full game. And when we got to the end of the fourth quarter, we were still ready to go, right? We had coaches that really disciplined us through the practice uh, over those three days, but all throughout the year. And our discipline paid off when it came to games. We, we as a team had a, a great deal of success over our, uh, over our time there, but we played teams with way better athletes. But we were disciplined. Not only that we were conditioned and ready to go, but we also knew where to be in a particular point in a game so that we did well. But it all came because of the discipline, which at the moment wasn't super fun, right? There's this recognition that, that the training can, not really can, will be on some level painful, verse 11. For at the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And maybe you didn't play football. Maybe, maybe you're one of those in this room that ran the mini uh, a few weeks ago, and you train for it, right? And, and we all know that, that running is painful. It's terrible. And uh, I don't have a goal of, of running a mini or a real marathon, so I don't train for that. But I want to stay in shape, right? So I train in other ways. I swim or do the elliptical, and there are times when I don't want to do it. And it's like, but that's what discipline is. It's moving us through that to something better. That's the training that is in picture here. We're being trained for something else. And if we don't have this expectation that this is going on, that this is happening, what it leads to is this warning in verse 15, bitterness. No root of bitterness springs up among you and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. We can, we can get that, right? If our expectation is that things should go well for us, that we deserve it, and, and that idea seeps into the church in powerful ways. Even if we're not explicitly health and wealth gospel, the air that we breathe is, is so much filled with things should go well for you, things should be easy for you, that it seeps into our following of Jesus. And we think, maybe sometimes even more, I'm faithful to follow Jesus. He owes me. I deserve it, right? And that is not what we find in Scripture. We, we need this expectation that, there, that things will be difficult, and yet that God is using it for us, that he is training us for something good. He is training us for something better. I mean, this is the picture that we find uh, in Romans 8, verse 28, when Paul says that all things work together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. It doesn't say, to be clear, that all things are good. It doesn't say that everything that happens is good, or even that we shouldn't fight for goodness, particularly for others first, and then for ourselves, for justice and righteousness and those kinds of things. But it recognizes that God is able to use the mess and the brokenness to train us. And then we find this encouragement, this hope, this reminder that discipline is child training. That that's really the best interpretation here, the best description. And we are children of God. This is the promise that we have here. Have you not forgotten, verse 5, or have you forgotten 
the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. The Lord disciplines the one he loves. Go on to verse 7. God is treating you as sons. Now, to be clear, sons here, we talked about this when I, I preached in Proverbs last fall. The Proverbs are given as they, they were letters written from a, a male mentor to, to a son, right? But it was given to the whole church. It was for everyone. We find that, that Jesus expands on this in Galatians when he says they were all sons. And what's going on there is he's saying he's expanding it beyond sons, beyond male children, to say that we all have the rights and benefits that in that culture only sons had. Only sons had the right to inherit what was given by the father. But Jesus has said this is really for all of us, sons and daughters. So I, I, I know that we read this and, and we get tripped up in our minds, and understandably so, uh, in the midst of a culture that often has, uh, over the years, diminished the value of, of women, and that has happened in the church as well. But what we find here is this promise that for everyone, for men and women, sons and daughters, God treats us as a father. God treats us as his children. This is for all of us. We are invited into this relationship with him where we are his sons and daughters. And so this quote from Proverbs chapter 3 that was given to the, to the whole of the people of God, sons and daughters, we are his children. And it goes on to, to say, essentially, that if we are his children, he will discipline us. And if there is not discipline, then we must not be his children. We know, again, that, that a good father actually trains his kid. Actually, there will be moments where we tell our children no, or we invite them into something that they do not want to do. Children do not know what's best for them. So for us to be children of God is to recognize that he does know what's best, and he is actually inviting us into that kind of relationship. And so when he gives this comparison, verse 7 through 10, of an earthly father that is disciplining and caring for his children, again, he has in mind that he's making this argument from the lesser to the greater. If, if we have this view in mind, even if we can imagine what a good father would be, how much more would the heavenly father, who is perfect in every way, knowing perfectly how to, to discipline and guide and direct, how much more would we look to him and trust in him? How much more would we be satisfied in the fact that, that, that he is working for our good, that he is caring for us, that he is directing us to him and toward what he actually created us to be, to human flourishing, because he is our creator. We, we have this, this in mind. We, we know if we've ever come across somebody who has not been disciplined, and, and let's, just, let's just imagine that you come across a 20-year-old and they haven't been disciplined. And for the sake of the illustration, let's imagine that this 20-year-old has never been told no, and not that they just have had difficult experiences that they've reacted poorly against. Let's say that everything has gone really well for them. They grew up in a very wealthy family, and it, life was easy. Things always went well for them, and their parents gave them everything that they ever asked for or wanted. And you can begin, I know as you are imagining this, 
you are thinking, this is a person that I really want to be around. And I really want to spend time with. No, because there's a recognition that they're not living in the reality of the way the world exists. That they, that they are, are, are shallow in, in many ways. That they're just naturally going to be that way. That, that going through the difficult things actually strengthens us and prepares us uh, for something better. That it, it shapes us, that it, that it disciplines us to be, we're going to see in a moment, ultimately holy and, and righteous. That, it, that it, this is what is on the table. This is what is on offer for us. And, and, and we as parents, for any of us that are parents, we, we know and we've thought about boundaries that we put around our kids. And, and sometimes that means they're going to experience painful things. And, and there will be moments where they will experience discomfort that we could relieve. And we choose not to because we know that they're going to learn through that process. Now, there are moments where we choose to relieve it. And there are moments when we look back as earthly parents and we think, I did the right thing here and I didn't there whichever one we choose. But what we have here is a picture of the creator, the God who never looks back and and realizes that he should have done it differently. One who, as our father, our heavenly father, cares perfectly for us, disciplines us perfectly. And what he is leading us to in that discipline is this thing that he takes very seriously. Described in verse 11 as righteousness, and in verse 14, as, as holiness. Verse 11, for at the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The righteousness of God is on offer. Described in verse 14 as, as holiness, something that we should seek. The holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And we struggle in that direction, Right? Struggle even to, to this point where there is the possibility of our blood being shed in this struggle against sin, verse 4. Against sin is then toward holiness. Sin is that that draws us away from our creator, living in, in a way contrary to the way that we were created to live, contrary to the, what he has laid out for us. And we're invited in the midst of this to endure. The discipline builds this endurance uh, within us. Christ endured, verse 3. We're invited to endure, verse 7, to struggle against sin, to move toward holiness, because God cares deeply about this. And he calls us with this poetic language to, to stand up and move in this direction. Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. This, this move in this direction. Now, I think it's helpful for us to note this picture of holiness, this picture of righteousness. We know from all of Scripture, but even from Hebrews, and even from this chapter, it's something that he is inviting us to live into. He's not inviting us to create it. There's constantly a recognition that we can't create the holiness for ourselves, that we can't attain it for ourselves. The holiness, the righteousness, we can't just get it together. That's not what this call is for. The, the call is to live into what is already true. If we go back to uh, chapter 10 um, of Hebrews, so we were there not that long ago. In verse 10, we see 
The words are in a different place in this Bible, so it's taking me a little bit longer, right? And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. By that is Jesus' sacrifice, his ultimate sacrifice, even referred to here as the one that happened once for all. And he says, we have been sanctified. We talked about this a few weeks ago, that sanctification is this thing that occurs all of life, being made more like Jesus, putting away, putting to death sin more and more, living more and more toward righteousness. It is something that will exist for our whole lives until we are perfected when Jesus returns and all things are made right. And yet the language that the writer here uses is past tense. We have been sanctified. There is this picture of it being accomplished already. Verse 14 gets at some of the same idea. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. He has perfected. There is this promise in the use of the past tense here that this is something that we're just invited to step into. We saw this even last week in verse 1. I'm sorry, verse 2, that Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. So he didn't just find, he's not just the founder of our faith, that he gave it to us, and then he says, now get it together and, and, and live right. No, he is even the one who perfects our faith. He is the one who does this, so we can look and trust in him, so that as we step into this holiness, we do so with this confidence that he's the one doing the work in us and through us. And yet, that can then empower us to actually pursue holiness, to say this does matter. So that when he explains, the writer here explains some of what that looks like, some of the ways in which the discipline moves us in a particular direction, we see what that direction looks like. How does he describe some of this holiness and righteousness? There are a few different ways he does it. Look in verse 14. Peace with all. Pursue peace with all. Strive for peace with everyone. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Strive for peace with everyone. This is a, a, a big call, right? There, there are absolutely things about the gospel, about recognizing that we're sinful, about some of the holiness that we're called to that will be offensive to those uh, around us. And Jesus makes that clear in a lot of places. But sometimes we make the mistake of ourselves being offensive, of, our, our, of ourselves drawing dividing lines between those who believe and, and those who don't. And, uh, and we cause all kinds of trouble in, in the midst of that. We're invited to actually strive for peace with everyone. The next thing that we see, we talked about a little bit already, is to not let bitterness that causes so much trouble spring up from within us, that causes trouble for ourselves and for others. We, we know how important it is that we're a part of community. And that is community both for encouragement toward one another, but it also is a recognition that our sin or brokenness, that our bitterness can be a problem not only for us, but for others. So the holiness plays out in pursuing peace with others. It plays out in seeking to put away bitterness. It plays out in verse 16, we see that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. Esau, who, who sells his blessing for the immediate desire. And this is linked here to sexual immorality. And, and, and we get super uncomfortable. What's he going to say about sexual immorality? And, and it's this topic in our culture that is uh, incredibly 
divisive and it, and it comes with all kinds of emotions and the church hasn't handled it well. And it's mentioned a lot in scripture, sexual immorality. It is all over the place. And then, then oh, well, you think too much about it. You don't think too much enough about it. You talk too much. You don't talk enough. All these kind of things going on, right? And we live in a culture that says two things at the same time. Sex is everything. It, it defines who you are. You can't be a real human being if you don't live out the desires that you have. And at the same time, we're told sex is really no big deal. It's nothing. You know, as long as there are two consenting adults, it, you know, whatever. It's not a big deal. Which is its own thing that falls apart pretty quickly. Lots of damage in all of those places, right? And so then we think sometimes if, if I fall into the traditional categories or even the biblical categories of sex being, to be clear, a beautiful gift from God that is on offer uh, for a, a husband and wife together. If we think if we fall into that category or our desires point in that direction, then this doesn't really apply to me. This is applying to other people or some of the things that are happening uh, in culture. But it ha- the, the warning happens enough that the question should be for each one of us, in, in which ways am I tempted to be sexually immoral? Or which ways does sexuality play out in broken ways for me? Beyond just even the obvious ones of, of pornography or uh, re- relationships outside of marriage, there's just all kinds of ways which we, this is a deep topic that I just covered all of it, right? Uh, I, I do, I think this is something we should be talking about uh, if you have questions. Um, let, let's, let's talk about these things. And it is really confusing in, in this time, but there is a recognition that part of holiness is thinking about and moving in positive directions uh, in this even area of our lives. That God is inviting us into that so that we might live in human flourishing as he created us to live. This is what we are invited into. And so this discipline that builds within us endurance to struggle against sin, to struggle toward holiness is, is actually some, this beautiful picture of something that we're invited into. And, and there's a recognition that it is a struggle. We need strength from him, from one another, from his word, from the sacrament. We, we need his grace in our lives. And so we're invited to step into this that is true if we trust in Jesus and to consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. This is the first verse here, verse three, against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The call here is to consider him, to look to him, the one that did struggle to the point of shedding blood for you and for me, to the point of shedding blood that we will celebrate in just a moment, that his body was broken and his blood was poured out. That was strength for you and me to experience the brokenness of this world and to move forward in hope, knowing that he has something better for us, knowing that he has given us strength to step into that better thing until he returns and makes all things right. We are invited to trust in him in the midst of all that brokenness, knowing that he is our father, that we are his sons and daughters, and that he is inviting us into something better. Let's pray.